and welcome to The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, with me, David Oram. In this extra edition, I'm thrilled and delighted to be joined by one of the biggest and best names in sports podcasting, the excellent cricket writer and broadcaster, Peter Miller. Hello, Peter. That's a ridiculously kind introduction. I'm <laughs> very grateful, but I think only about 5% of it is true. But I'll take all of it. Well, uh, that, that, that's all you're going to be able to take, Peter, because this this is a, 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 a Freeman's. This is a, a an unpaid gig for you today, I'm afraid. But, uh, well, I want to thank you for, thank you for joining me. Um, Peter, you're, you're, you're maybe most well-known for your extremely popular Geek and Friends cricket podcast, uh, which also occasionally veers off into uh, the odd, may I say very odd, uh, snooker podcast as well. Primarily, you're joining me today to talk about the uh, the CPL, which you, you attended the draft, um, was it just this Monday? Uh, the Monday, Monday last week, was it, Peter? It was, um, I think it was, I think it was Thursday, I think it was on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> both, both of us I have been travelling a lot. The, the, when you're, yeah, I mean, it was great. So I was only there for, I was in Barbados for all the 36 hours, <laughs> thanks to American Airlines, somewhat optimistic, thinking that I, I could do a transfer in Miami International in an hour and 40 minutes. No, <laughs> well, no an option. So I spent a lovely evening in a god-awful Holiday Inn in West Miami, where I was frightened to leave the hotel with my mobile phone and wallet. <laughs> but once I got to Barbados, it was beautiful. It's an absolutely stunning island, and everybody should go. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it literally is an island paradise. Well, you were, uh, you went you went to the draft, which uh, was uh, actually in walking distance from uh, Grantley Adams uh, Airport, uh, just along the road there. So you yeah, probably thirty six hours was was plenty for you. Um, how, how was your Concord experience? It was great. I mean, I I said I wrote a thing for Crick Info about it. And what I said was, you know you're in the Caribbean when the music's louder than it needs to be. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about Caribbean culture, but in every single environment I've ever been in, whether it be a hotel lobby, a bar, wherever, the, 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 the music's slightly louder than you would expect it to be. And that's not a bad thing. It's just the way things are. But yeah, it was great. You know, there was, um, there was ridiculously scantily clad uh, um, dancing girls in G-strings and feather boas and a uh, uh, steel drum band as you walked in through the door and a DJ playing soca music and yeah. yeah I mean it was it was everything that you would expect from something that the Caribbean Premier League insists on calling the biggest party in sport um, yeah it was fun it was good uh, you know I think it was pretty well run there were some interesting folks there um, I got to say hello to Andy Roberts and Stuart Williams and Roger Harper and Bill Simmons. Yeah, you know it was it was good. Yeah, yeah. Everything you would expect from a, from an event held in a, a disused plane, uh, aeroplane's hangar, I suppose. It was it was a striking image <laughs> that they played it. So that there's um, I, we should probably explain, shouldn't we? So well, just yes. next to the airport in Barbados, next to the Grantley Adams Airport in Barbados, there is something they call the Concorde Experience. So they have the now disused, the actual disused Concorde aircraft that flew between London and Barbados in years past Mm. inside an airport hangar. So inside there, it's kind of like a little museum type thing where you can go and look at it and you can go inside the Concorde and have a wander around inside and kind of look at it. And the draft took place directly underneath the airplane, which, (laughs) as I said, was was quite a striking image for it to have. So... The stage was set up underneath the wings of the Concorde. Mm. Um, and it looked 
was it was it was interesting to sit and watch it all happening yeah. um, and see the decisions that the team made both from a from a cricketing and a commercial point of view in terms of the in terms of the people that they picked. Obviously beforehand the there was these marquee players mm. that they decided to pick. So the six of those, let's see if I can remember. So there's um, Martin Guptill, yeah. Shane Watson, A. B. De Villiers, uh, Faf Duplessis, Brendan McCullum, and and <laughs> oh, see that's disappointing, isn't it? It's, 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 yeah, five out of six, not bad. And uh, another one, eighty-three uh, percent. Yeah, I'll take it. So, the, so, but what the way that had worked actually with the teams was the teams had been allowed to go out into the market themselves. <clears throat> sign those players. So basically, each team had gone away and tried to pick a player that they wanted to sign. And in doing so, they, um, they, you know, they, they decided the players that they wanted to pick. And those players went within the one hundred and thirty thousand dollar bracket. Although I get the impression, rightly or wrongly, I think I'm right. I get the impression that actually they could have gone up to 160. There was a discretionary right. extra 30 grand if they wanted to buy a player. So 160 is the maximum amount the players can be bought for in the CPL. So the way that the draft works is each side has somewhere in the region of 780,000 US mm. to spend on players. And each bracket within the draft as you go down is worth slightly less money. So the top, the top guy is worth 160. The next one's one thirty. So it was. Um, it's Kumar Sangakkara that's the sixth player. That's How it. Kumar. Yeah. That's shocking, isn't it? So <laughs> as you go down, it goes down with it. So uh, the top players. I was kind of, kind of. There was a couple of surprises actually in terms of the top players that they picked up. So uh, four of the top six players in that one sixty bracket were um, Kyron Pollard, captain of the Tridents. Yeah. Wayne Bravo, captain of the newly named Trent. Night Rider, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Yes. Uh, Chris Gale, who's captain of the, the Palawars. Yeah. And then the Patriots, I, I suspect, had he been available, it probably would have been Nathan Marlon that went in there for the Patriots <clears> as he was the, their captain. But um, he's not available because he's a West Indies centrally contracted player. Yeah. Um, so they picked Lendl. The two surprises were the two guys that weren't uh, Wimby's uh, big name players. Uh, so that was David Miller of South Africa, and then I couldn't quite believe it mm. when the first name that the Amazon Guyana Amazon Warriors called out was Sohail Tanzia. I was like, <laughs> really? really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I asked Roger Harper about it, and he just said he thought he was a very good 2020 bowler and a good lower order hitter, and they wanted to secure his services. So, um, mm. you know, if it works out for him, it doesn't work out for them. We will, we will see. Um, so, I suppose the interesting thing, David, from the uh, from the draft point of view, is the absence of those centrally contracted West Indian players. Yeah. So basically, what's happened is that the, the tournament is taking place from late June to early August, and yeah. there's going to be a week long period when they're in, in the USA in Fort Lauderdale, which would be quite interesting. But yeah. that coincides with India touring yeah. in the West Indies. Um, and as a result, all of the guys that have West Indies central contracts didn't get a gig. So it's quite interesting in terms of the players that are missing out. I've already said Marlon isn't going to be at the Patriots. Um, Richie Barrington, who used to work for the WICB, who's now the manager of the the, the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots, told me that they're going to give Fafty Plessy the job um, as right. captain, which is reasonably interesting. Um, but the 
because I know in the past, I believe Michael Moorhead, CEO of the WICB, has said that as much as they can't compete with other contracts, they then get more, these guys get more money for playing in the Caribbean Premier League, which isn't the case this year. Mm. Those guys are missing out on those earnings, which I suppose will be a concern going forward in terms of those contract negotiations that are forever the, the case with the West Indies, in that if you've got guys that are already feeling they're hard done by with their central contract, and they're missing out on Caribbean Premier League earnings, which so you would hope they'd be guaranteed probably 80,000 US for taking mm. part, you know, that's that's going to make things tricky for them. But I think this is a one-year. The WICB can't really afford to upset the BCCI anymore, can they? <laughs> well, no, absolutely. I, the um, Marlon Samuels is one that I, I find ironic because I'd be very surprised if he is playing for the West Indies uh, later this year in test matches. His, his form has become so abysmal. Um, I don't think anybody expects to see him playing longer-form cricket anymore anyway, so he may be back and available. But you allude there to the... The, the problem there is between 2020 cricket and longer-form cricket, we've, we've seen only in the last few days, Darren Bravo withdraw from the 2020 squad to concentrate on four-day cricket. Um, do you think that there's going to be more of this, that despite the money, but more people in all countries, not just in the Caribbean, but concentrating in one format or the other? Ultimately, the West Indies issues are ones of economics. That's ultimately what it boils down to. Hmm. So the problem that the West Indies Cricket Board have, and any other cricket board that isn't uh, either England or Australia, really, and to, uh, India to a lesser extent, India's central contracts aren't massive, but they get quite big bonus structures, and also all of the guys that are Indian players are going to get big IPL paydays and be given guaranteed full participation in it because there's no competing Indian fixtures at the time. But the only guys that have really, really excellent central contracts that leave them in a position where they can say no to big 2020 contracts are England and Australia, both of whom have a central contract that's going to be in excess of 1 million US. So um, those guys are insulated from it really. But everywhere else, you know, be that Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or anywhere else, if these guys are going to get the opportunity that they're going to have to pick between the two, they have a limited career and a family to look after. And ultimately the biggest problem that West Indies cricket has is it can't afford to pay their best players what they're worth. The market ultimately will decide. And Chris Gale is worth more than the hundred and twenty ish thousand US dollars that are WICB central contract to pay it. Mm. Um, that much is evident from the amount of work that he gets at far higher rates than that. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things though, and this was something that irritated me in watching the coverage of the uh, West Indies tour of Australia, is the assumption that uh, what are their best players? It was said continually in the Australian press that it was silly that uh, there was a test side getting thrashed by the Australians, where all the West Indies' best players were in the Big Bash. Um, I dispute that. I'm not convinced anymore. Gail accepted, uh, who even on one leg, standing up, hitting, would still be worth placing in the West Indies' Tesso. But very few of those other guys have played any four-day cricket in years. Um, Pollard, for one, was never even good enough to be selected uh, for the West Indies' Test side. So the assumption that these are their best players 
I don't think it always holds together. They're the best players in the shorter formats, yes, but uh, I don't think a lot of them are really test cricketers. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you were to if you were to add Gale, Dwayne Bravo, uh, Narayan, people like that, both of them would be worth a place in the side. And I think, bearing in mind that the stocks that they have at the moment, I would say probably there's a there's a case for saying Pollard potentially might be worth a place, but it would be a big gamble for well, him to I, make his game work at that level. I, I know what you're saying. I think all of them would have been selected from time to time if available. I certainly, if I was picking a, a four-day side at, uh, at any level, let, let, let's say if it was just for a, a regional side, I, I would certainly be picking Jason Holder, Carlos Brathwaite ahead of uh, Dwayne Bravo every time because I wouldn't expect Dwayne Bravo to come back and bowl a 14th, the 15th and the 16th over on the same day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there are some decent players. I think ultimately the biggest problem... Uh, that the West Indies have is as much one of perception as it is one of reality. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think, you know, Andre Fletcher, I think, would probably do a good job in test cricket, but he's never really shown any real interest in playing four-day cricket. So yeah. it's very difficult for us to judge as to whether or not he would be successful. But certainly, Dwayne Bravo, Chris Gale, and Andre Fletcher are three of the most talented players in Caribbean cricket, regardless of the format, and all of them were playing big bash rather than the test match. And, and that for an Australian public that are very used to the fact that if there's a choice between nation and club, nation will always come first. Yeah. But as I've already alluded to, it's a lot easier for you to make a decision that nation is going to come first if you're being paid a million dollars a year than it is if you're, uh, you've got the potential earnings of a tenth of that. So it, 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 I think people kind of have a romantic notion, perhaps, of what cricket should be. Uh, and what it actually is. But I think, ultimately, the problem that the West Indies have, more than anything else, I think, is that they don't have the very best players playing in their domestic tournament. Mm. Because guys like Gale, guys like Fletcher, guys like Pollard, guys like Dwayne Bravo, aren't anywhere to be seen. And there isn't the depth there that you've got to be able to have it as a consistently competitive proofing ground for the international game. Yeah. Now, I think... In the past, well, West Indies cricket, realistically speaking, has kind of always needed a benefactor from overseas in order for it to be financially viable. Yeah. Because these islands are economically depressed, they are, in essence, as much as it's bonkers to say it because they're so beautiful, that a lot of the time you can probably accurately describe them as third world countries. Mm. In the past, it was the English county system that was the benefactor of West Indies cricket so that you had guys would go away at the end of the West Indies season, which was probably running until April, May, traditionally. Is that fair, David? Yeah. That was kind of the point where it was finishing up. Yeah. And they would go to England and they'd play in England for six months. Yeah. And then if they weren't touring England, they would then be available to tour whichever country, whichever other place they were touring. Yeah. And in essence, their county contracts were the things that... Meant or even that, with clubs. Or with clubs. You know, uh, it was it was more valuable for. Um, I mean, is it Leary Constantine? I think was yeah. kind of more interested in getting a, a club job than he was in playing for playing for the West Indies. The sofas um, nearly went the same way. Yeah, you know, it's nothing. It's nothing new, is it? That's no. for sure. So, and I think what's happened now with the shift, the diametric shift in cricket and how it works, mm. is that now that that the economic benefactor now of West Indies cricket has become the Indian Premier League. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's that that's popping up the income to their players. Now, the Indian Premier League takes place slap bang in the middle of the West Indies domestic calendar. Yeah. So it'll start in March, April, and it will finish in May, June. So that's the majority of the time that they've taken up with that. Plus, you've also got the added factor that if the West Indies aren't touring, uh, and they would be, you know, you could potentially have the international players at home. Instead of being at home, they're going to be playing in, you know, the Ram Slam, in the Big Bash League, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I think there's, there's gone is that clear delineation between what was the West Indies calendar and what isn't the West Indies calendar. And that's the same for the same all round. I, I actually welcome the fact that now English cricket has the Caribbean Premier League to compete with. I think that's a good thing for English cricket to try and have to compete with. Yeah. Um, they need to find a way to make their domestic tournament more uh, more exciting and interesting for these players. You know, it's going to be a situation now that Brendan McCullum, Hashim Amla, Kumar Sangakara, Shane Watson, all of those guys aren't going to be playing English domestic one-day cricket because they're going to be going and doing that in the West Indies. Mm. And England need to find a way that they can attract the best players. But I think ultimately that's the problem. So yeah, it is going to happen more. Um, I'm not necessarily one of these people that always thinks it's a bad thing that that happens. I think sport needs to move on. And I think there's a lot of perhaps unfounded romanticism that doesn't actually have a lot of basis in fact surrounding the way that cricket was, was in the past. Yeah. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of rose-tinted spectacle around in cricket. But yeah, oh. I, you know, it is, to answer your question, I've kind of rambled on, haven't I? <laughs> to answer your question, yes, it is going to be an issue for West Indies cricket, and it is going to be an issue for every country that isn't a member of the Big Three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, something I specifically want to uh, look at, and I'd see if you can tell me more than I know, Um the CPL, they, they want to play some games in Florida. You, you touched upon this. Yeah. How far down the line are they with the, dealing with the practicalities of that? A long way, actually, more than I thought they would. So basically, they've appointed a guy called Eddie Fitzgibbon, mm. who used to work for the ICC. Right. And Eddie has recently moved to America. He's an Australian. Um, <laughs> And he's recently moved to, uh, to America, and it's his job to make the Florida Games a reality. Right. So he is going to be working with the uh, with the Fort Lauderdale authorities to try and bring the stadium up to scratch and get it ready to go. Um, he was I was talking to him about pitches and stuff mm. because the stadium hasn't really been used in two or three years for the purpose for which it was intended. Yeah. So it will be very interesting to see how that happens. So I was talking to him about whether or not they were going to use the existing surface, whether or not they were going to get a drop-in pitch. All that stuff's kind of up in the air, and we will see as time goes by. The difficulty with using the existing surface, which is preferable because it's cheaper than <laughs> buying a drop-in, um, is that you kind of need to start now and then yeah. maintain it all the way up until June for you to have a viable high standard of track. Ultimately, the problem with the problem and the, the benefit of 2020 cricket is it lives and dies on the pitch. You need to have a fast, bouncy pitch that has even bounce. Now, I think tactically you can go the other way. So you've seen that a bit in the Caribbean Premier League that the Guyana Amazon Warriors in the past have had Virasami Permal yeah. and, and Sunil Nerine 
bowling eight overs, and kind of by design, that Providence pitch has just been um, very, very dry and, and a turning pitch. But whether or not that'll stay the case now, Nairine has moved to yeah. Trinidad Tobago. We will see. Um, I know that they've got, you know, they've got a couple of a couple of decent spinners still in the side. They've got Adam Zampa from Australia coming and playing for them, but he's probably not going to have the success that Nairine will. Yeah. But I think the uh, yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, they're working on the infrastructure now. So basically, the the sea change in this becoming a reality happened with the suspension of the United States of America Cricket Association mm. last year. So uh, for those that don't know, um, in the world of cricket administrators, which is full of absolute <laughs> useless, know-nothing idiots, the absolute worst in all of those has been USACA. So USACA have been suspended and unsuspended three times in the last six or seven years. And it looks as if they've now bitten the dust altogether. So what's happened is that with their suspension last year, there's a brilliant letter from uh, from Srinivasan to the USAC are asking them to explain themselves, which goes on for about three and a half pages, which is it's it's hilariously uh, fat, all the stuff that they, they've been asked to explain to themselves. Um, it goes on for pages and pages. I don't think it's ever been published anywhere, but I got it emailed to me, which was kind of the person that sent it to me. But the... Uh, the, um, basically, what's happened now is the ICC have taken over the running of America and American cricket. So, whereas before it was um, it was Gladstone Dainty of USACA that was running it and not doing a particularly good job, he's gone, and it's Dave Richardson and Tim Anderson that yeah. are overseeing it. And then the guy who is the head of cricket development for North America, so that's kind of Canada... America, he probably goes down as far as Bermuda and the ICC Americas regions with all the other countries that you've got going on down there, is a guy called Ben Kavanagh. So they're the guys that are running it. So it's basically as soon as you sat a when, it made this a possibility. Um, beforehand, it didn't. And I don't think you can understate the impact that the Warren Tendulkar thing had. Well, I was going to ask, it. yeah. So uh, Eddie Fitzgibbon, again, was, was involved in in that war and ten daughter thing uh, in terms of making that happen. Um, so uh, the they've got some drop-in pitches, actually, thinking about it. They bought some drop-in pitches. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they're still kicking around in America and if they're for sale. That will be interesting. Um, but the um, from my point of view, one of the few, very few things that was good about it from a cricket point of view was the pitches. So it'll be quite nice to use that. The rest of it is pretty horrible. Yeah. So yeah, so it's going to happen. So there's going to be six games in Florida over over a week, um, and um, you know there was a couple of other possibilities in terms of places they could have done it. There's a, a grass, a decent standard grass wicket in Indianapolis. Mm. And there's also one in Los Angeles, but I think the close distance between the Caribbean and Florida, and also the fact that there's a large Caribbean diaspora yeah. in and around Fort Lauderdale made that the, the key one for them. There was um, one question that uh, Res Pereira brought up I was talking to him earlier today for uh, my usual weekly podcast. Um, he pointed out he hoped that the those organising these games in Florida have already started working on the facilitating of uh, visas because the US 
uh, can be quite difficult, particularly if there's uh, players from, uh, let's call them less countries that are less welcome to going into the USA. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, now they've got the draft sorted, that's the kind of stuff that management can start getting sorted. Yeah. Uh, so they've got they've got four months to mm. get this stuff sorted. Uh, so hopefully that stuff will be sorted. I mean, certainly probably for the, the South African guys, the guys from the West Indies, et cetera, et cetera, that should be relatively straightforward. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I'm constantly told by people that don't have one that I should be very grateful for is having a British passport, which yeah. means there isn't really anywhere in the world that you're not allowed to go. Um, it was one of the things, actually, I, when I spoke, to, um, I spoke to KP last year during the tournament, and he was saying one of the... The disadvantages with the the infrastructure around the Caribbean was the flights back and forth between the islands because there's very few direct flights. You need to yep. fly to a hub and then go between. So there's a lot of flying to Miami and then back down again. Um, and if you're somebody who's got what's known as an ESTA, yeah, it's very straightforward to go through U.S. immigration. Um, but if you're not, then it makes things a lot more complicated. So yeah, I mean. Uh, Certainly, I would I would be amazed if they weren't in the process of sorting out visas now. But as ever in this case, with cricket tournaments in general, and with the greatest respect, the Caribbean in particular, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be, would be surprised if we had some we had some whoopsies along the way in that regard. <laughs> well, let's 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 hope they're watching where they tread. But the whole show is going. Every team's going to play there, so yeah. you know yeah. it's going to be everybody that goes. So it's going to. The, basically, those six games in Florida are replacing these six uh, quote-unquote neutral games that happened in St. Kitts last yeah. year. That's, that's good to take it around the region. I hope I hope it works. I hope it's a success. Um, one of the interesting things, I think, that, that is, a very, is a big positive is something that Damien O'Donoghue, the CEO, has said, mm. is that those tickets are going to be quote-unquote affordable. Yes, I heard that. So, whereas the... Wanted Dorker. Or some of them are one hundred and fifty dollars. That's certainly not going to be the case in the CPL, as far as they're concerned. They'd much rather take a loss on tickets and have a ram to the rafters stadium than have not have that. If you see what I mean, from their point of view, it's more important that they have full seats. No, quite right, and and it's important how it looks as well. I will add to what you were saying just then. In my experience, there is one thing uh, better than a British passport, and uh, and that's a British diplomatic passport. But uh, that's, uh, in my case, thank you very much to my wife. Um, (laughs) Maybe one day I'll get myself one of those, but the chances of the the diplomatic corps calling me at any point (laughs) is probably quite remote. I'm a bit too fond of telling people what I really think and swearing at them. Looking at, uh, at uh, men with uh, diplomatic skills, uh, there's been more influence coming into the Caribbean Premier League from uh, from India. Uh, you talked about the uh, the Trinbago Knight Riders, uh, but apparently the Tridents are going to stay the Tridents. Yeah, very much so. So I spoke to uh, both Venki Mysore, who is the CEO of both versions of the Knight Riders, and Vijay Malia. So... Venki has been clear. I spoke to Venki last year. Venki's a phenomenally impressive guy, David. If you get a chance to speak to him, okay. really good guy. Um, both uh, as a person and as far as I can see, as somebody who knows what they're doing. So, um, uh, you know, every time I've heard him speak, I've been impressed what he said. One of the things that really impressed me was I was stood there in the draft and Venki walked in and having spoken to him for 25 minutes in June, 
he walked up to me and said, oh, hello, nice to see you again, how are you? <laughs> Which I was like, bloody hell, that's quite impressive. Yeah. But um, it's little things like that, isn't it, that, yeah. that do impress you. But um, yeah, so Venki and uh, Sharu Khan, who are the owners of uh, the newly christened Trimbago Night Riders, have been very clear that they want to have that tie and They want the Night Riders to become a global brand. Yeah. and want to have that synergy. Although he assures me it is going to be red, white, and black as the colours. Um, so we, we will see, hopefully, they need to find a way to kind of have a purple badge for the Night Riders and a red, white, and black uniform because... Trinidad and Tobago need to be playing in those colours, really, don't they? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense if they don't. No, they've um, got to retain some national identity. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So the, the phrase he used to me was that you need to think globally but act locally. So that was what he said, mm. that that's what they were trying to do. Mm. So we will see whether or not they pull that off. Um, again, he needs to be judged on what he does, not on how nice he is, as he thought to me. They're, they're two very different things. Very important <laughs> to remember. But mm. Vijay Malia, who is the owner of uh, Kingfisher Beer, uh, the yeah. um, Royal Challengers Bangalore, uh, the Force One India Formula One team, so he was he was in the in the Caribbean, yeah, looking ridiculously dapper. Uh, I think he pulled it off. It was quite an outfit, but I think he pulled it off. Um, <laughs> I think I think he looked look, looked a lot better than I did, um, which was. A slightly pink and sweaty British person, not quite coping with the heat, was pretty much what the look I went for when I was when I was there. Like, like something yeah. out of uh, Death in Paradise, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty much the look I think I was going for. The, the, um, the Ben Miller rather than the Peter Miller look. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the, um, the the yeah. So what Malia was saying was that he's very conscious. He was saying how he felt very. Uh, he felt like he had a big connection to the region. He used to run Burger Paints, which is a big brand still in the West Indies now. So you drive around Barbados and, you know, you'll see burger paint signs yeah. everywhere. Um, and what he was saying as well is that he's got a big fan of Barbados, but also he's very conscious that the Trident is a very big symbol in Barbados. So it's the national flag. Yeah. It's the national symbol. Yeah. It's hugely important to Bayesian people. And from that point of view, he doesn't want to get rid of it. So we will see how that goes. Um, I think that one of the more interesting things that Malia said uh, the draft was kind of talking about how he was having conversations with the Beijing government. And I think that's kind of one of the areas that there's been some issues with the CPL. Yeah. In, the CPL's mind, in the CPL's mind, they're bringing in a lot of money to the region. The figure that I've heard banded around is but, about... But there, 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 was talk, there was talk, Peter, about Barbados losing their franchise at the, at the end yeah, of the yeah, last absolutely. tournament. It was a real worry that they wouldn't yeah. even be going to Barbados, which would have had a terrible effect uh, on the region. Yeah. I mean, it would have been massively disappointing if Barbados had lost their had lost their their franchise um, because I think you know Barbados is pretty much the powerhouse of West Indian cricket, really, isn't it? Um, it's it's the home of Sigari, after all. Well, um, I, th I think Trinidad and Tobago might disagree with you on that, and Jamaica might have something to say, but um, yeah, they let's let's say they're the heartbeat of the West Indies, yeah, they're, and they're, the West Indies the has got two or three hearts. And it's, and it's no coincidence that they're the more populous of the islands because yeah. it's a lot easier to use cricketers if you've got more people to produce them. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. So, yeah, I mean, Malia was kind of saying how he'd worked stuff out with the government and they, he'd offered them stuff, they'd offered him stuff, and they'd come to a deal. The interesting thing, and I don't know if you've noticed it, David, was that the St. Lucia Zooks were just called the Zooks during the draft. I didn't know. So... I don't think right. the solution. I don't think they'll be moving islands. 
but I wondered whether or not... They might be a bit more regional, might do the Wynwood Zooks or something. No, I don't think so. I don't think that'll happen. I think, uh, from my point of view, if you lost out playing cricket in the Boat Azure Stadium on that pitch, which is, without doubt, the best pitch in the Caribbean, um, that would be a crime. I wondered whether or not it had something to do with the fact that they were falling out with the government a little bit. Uh. And they didn't really want to give them the quote-unquote advertising that was associated with having the St. Lucia Zooks, and they were just called the Zooks. So we will see. One of the more interesting things that um, that O'Donoghue said to me in the conversations that I had with him over the, over the time I was there was that he said that there was a third IPL franchise that was interested in coming on board in terms of buying a team. Now, the only team that's left available that doesn't already have an owner is the Zoos. So we'll see what happens there. I don't think they're moving from St. Lucia, but I think it is very telling that they didn't have St. Lucia in their name during the during the, during the the draft. Um, but yeah, that's the only one left, which is exciting, actually, if you think about it. If you think that, you know, three years ago there wasn't a single proper franchise owner, and now we're at the stage where five, six mm. have been bought, um, and also that it's Indian, Indian, the Indian market is buying it. The hard thing that the CPL needs to do, their biggest challenge in my mind, is finding a way to have that um, buy-in from the Indian uh, population, because yeah. ultimately that's where the money in cricket comes from. You need to have Indian viewers because it's a cricket-mad popular country with a billion people. That's where you need to make your money. But at the same time, keeping it a local product. Yeah. So in year two of the CPL, what they did was they tried to move the games to be more daytime games, yeah. which meant that they were yeah. easier to watch in both the UK and in India, which was interesting. But what that meant is it had an inf- impact on the number of people that went to the games. Yeah. Now, what they did last year was they went back to the way they were, and as a result, there were, I think the, the figure is they had a 44% up, up uh, yeah. uh, an increase in people going to the ground which is massively important for the tournament. The CPL lives and dies on that island vibe and having people in the ground. Um, If you haven't ever been in the party stand at a CPL game, (laughs) you need need to do it. You need to go. It's so much fun. Peter, I'm a bit bit too old for that. As as an MCC member myself, I'm I'm far more comfortable sitting with my tie and my hat in in the 3W stand at uh, the Kensington. I, I think... I think if you haven't, and I'm sure you have, say one of those stands that are in a Caribbean cricket, <laughs> but they're great. I mean, it's just it's just so much fun. Oh, it's gotcha. just a fun place to be. Yeah. And you know, I mean, uh, open air press boxes as they have at the Beaux Azure Stadium in St Lucia are 100 percent the way to go in my mind. But I'm not sure we'd get away with it climate wise in this country. <laughs> but but the you know, you need those people in the ground. You need to have people in there. It's got to have the Caribbean atmosphere and flavour. It's got to have the Caribbean atmosphere and flavour. You need to have the DJ pumping out the music and people screaming back at him and all the rest of it. That needs to happen. Um, So one of the things I think they were talking about doing was they were kind of talking about turning it into a breakfast product for India, which would mean moving the game slightly later. So at the moment, they kind of start at 7pm local time. But if you were to move that to 8.39, you would still have those people coming for the nighttime games. One one of the troubles you've got with that, Peter, is that uh, the the, the rain isn't 100% predictable in the Caribbean, 
but you are more likely to have evening and nighttime, sh uh, well, late night and, and yeah, midnight showers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, and, and that is that is a danger. But if you start organising cricket because it might rain, then you may as well just pack the whole thing up. No, I've heard you say that before, and you're right. You're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you're right. You, you, you have to you have to assume that it's not going to rain, otherwise yeah, you're yeah, in real trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has worked. One of the one of the the products where that works very well in India is with the NBA. The yeah. NBA is a bit later. Obviously, that doesn't have the same rain problem because it's played indoors. Um, but that that has worked very well in the kind of wake up to the NBA. But from a British point of view, the product I was thinking about most was with the BPL, uh, BBL, the Big Bash League. Yeah. I assume you've been in the UK a bit for when that's been on of late. And it's just massive. You know, waking up in the morning and getting the kids ready for school while I'm sitting there, you know, with the with the, B, the BBL on in the background is brilliant. You know, yeah. my mornings now there isn't BBL. I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what it, am I supposed to do with it, my in, in my case, with the exception of the Caribbean, um, I'm in the best place in in the world for watching cricket at decent times, and that's in uh, well Pakistan, <laughs> where the cricket comes on at sort of seven or eight in the morning, and um, yeah, you can get up. It's not getting up too early to watch uh, an Australian Test match. It's a bit too early for a New Zealand Test match, but uh, an Australian Test match. It's a decent time to watch uh, the England Test matches. Yeah, I'm still going to bed before midnight. And and it's wall to wall cricket. I I I recommend that everybody who loves cricket should move to Pakistan, um, including the Pakistan Super League. <laughs> well, yes, my, that 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 as well. Um, um, I mean, I've, I've talked I've talked about this a lot, and it'd be great for that to happen. And hopefully, the good word for people like your wife working <laughs> in places in Pakistan will make that thing a reality. Um, that she'll sort out. Be sorted by next week, I imagine, with Mrs. Orham in charge. <laughs> I'll tell her that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> the that chance. It. Uh, it would be lovely that they started playing cricket again in Pakistan while I'm there. I don't hold my breath. I mean, they had the one days in Lahore last year, and um, well, it was relatively hushed up. There, there was an attempted uh, suicide bomber there, and thankfully, uh, a very wonderfully community-spirited policeman threw himself on the guy and he lost his own life. Um, yeah, I saw that and that was, and it was kind of, I saw some people kind of saying, I mean, it's just, it, it's just not, it's not feasible, is it? It's not feasible. It can't, it can't happen while that's still uh, Well, while, while there's those people there that still want to take advantage of it, it's, Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about, uh, Peter. We'll, we'll talk about the Pakistani situation on on another time. We're 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 close to rounding up, though. I'm I'm interested to know, though. Um, where are you going to be watching the CPL this year? Are you going to hop between the islands? Are you going back to St Lucia, or? I'm hoping I'm going to get back at some point. I won't be able to be there for the whole thing. It's just I just can't make that work. But if them, my wife would yeah. kill me. Yeah. Um, but also from a just from a from a. Uh, a I would amaze people, but there isn't a huge amount of money in writing about cricket. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, so and I'm, a lot I'm, of hard I'm, work. I'm hopeful I'll get back. I'm really interested to go and watch the Florida game. So right. that'll be interesting. But I've been to Florida before. So ideally, now I've been to St. Lucia, I've been to Barbados, I really want to go to uh, Trinidad, and I really want to go to Jamaica. Um mm. I don't. I kind of been a little bit blessed in terms of the islands that I've been, the two islands that I've gone to. They're kind of the very pretty and very safe islands I've been to so far. Yeah, the, yeah. Jamaica particularly is a little bit more challenging. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've heard similar things about Georgetown. To the 
Yes. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big lad. I look after myself. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to go. I'd love to go to more places in the Caribbean because I just think one, it's beautiful. Two, they're just the just such great people out there that are oh. so happy to talk to people. Oh. As soon as I've said to anybody in the Caribbean, when I was out there last time, I did some podcasts where I just spoke to random people. Yeah. And that wasn't difficult to do, David. Yeah. To find people that wanted to talk to me about cricket. <laughs> wasn't complicated i arrived at, uh, quite late at my hotel and the guy on reception was there and he was talking to me about who was going to be signed in the cpl draft you know mm-hmm. it was kind of like oh you're here for that you right okay you know etc etc so you know it's 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 uh they're, it's, they're great people on beautiful islands and and they really do care about the sport that i love and as a result i kind of hope they'll do well yeah. which is like, so nice to see them doing so well at the at the under-19 World Cup. Oh, goodness me. Well, I'm, I'm going to... I loved your podcast you did uh, uh, last year, Peter, where you uh, spoke to several, many people at the, the CPL. I, I go to Barbados tomorrow, fly, get up, crack a dawn and fly there for, for 10 days. I'm hoping to have the opportunity to uh, to talk to many people. I won't have your editing skills, of course, um, but uh, catch up with quite a lot of old friends and uh, cricket people. And with them having just one the Under-19 World Cup. I think this really is a pivotal moment in uh, in West Indies cricket because they can't fall much lower. They could, but here is an opportunity. I, I, I did, did a piece today uh, and I described it that this is the light at the end of the tunnel. They can now see what their target is. Yeah, I think so. I think it's interesting. I kind of see the CPL and the national team as kind of separate but symbiotic ent- entities. Absolutely. But I think um, the CPL, I think, has gone a long way to revitalising cricket in the region. Yeah. And I think what it's done is it's shown that cricket not only can be a success and can be an entertainment product in the Caribbean, but also is a opportunity for people to see high-level cricket in a way that's not just seeing their team being dicked all over <laughs> with big named stars. I mean, this is the first time there's ever been overseas cricketers in Caribbean cricket, really. It's yeah. never happened before. Yeah. Um, you know, apart from the occasional times where you have random, you know, England A playing in the in the, in the the four-day championship and stuff like that, which happened at the beginning of the 21st century, I think, so that's the first time it's happened. Yeah. So, I think that's good, but also, you know, hopefully if it draws more kids into the game and then brings success in the West Indies cricket... There's lots and lots and lots of issues with West Indies cricket, um, and I think uh, those in charge of it haven't necessarily done as many favours as they could. Mm. Um, but I think you know, uh, there's perhaps more to be positive about cricket in the West in the West Indies now than there has been in quite a few years. No, I agree. I, I think this is a great opportunity, and the CPL is part of it uh, for everybody to fall in love with West Indies cricket again. Yes, let's hope so. All right, well, I think that's about all time we've got time for, Peter. Um, I want to thank you ever so much for joining me. Um, do you want to tell people that uh, are listening where they can find you, where they can chat to you, where they can abuse you? Yeah, well, if you want to come and give me some abuse and tell me that I'm wrong about cricket in the Caribbean, I'm on Twitter at the Cricket Geek. Um, yeah, find me there. Um, and I've got a podcast that's called Geeky Friends, which you can find on iTunes and SoundCloud, all those types of places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and regular, entertaining podcast uh, right up there amongst my favourites and I, I, I try not to, to miss any uh, uh, additions. Geek and Friends, love it. 
All right, well, uh, that's it. Um, I want to thank Peter Miller for, for joining me. This has been The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast with me, David Orne, and I hope you can join me again sometime soon. Goodbye. <laughs>